Hello and welcome to Ocean Calls, the podcast making waves on the issues that matter to friends of the sea. I'm Euronews science reporter Jeremy Wilkes. In previous episodes, we spoke about marine litter, deep-sea mining, and facing the effects of climate change. And today, we're talking about rules being broken, bent, or just never enforced. We're entering the murky world of unregulated, unreported, and illegal fishing. Yes. It's an international law of wildlife. Yes. I never know that, definitely. What you just heard was the moment Gambian Coast Guards confronted the crew of a Turkish-registered vessel over the scores of shark fins they had stashed on board. Now, shark fins are cut off the animal, which is then thrown back overboard to die, a cruel practice that's illegal in many countries, but which continues because of demand from certain communities who consider shark fin soup to be a prestigious delicacy. Our thanks to Sea Shepherd for that clip of an all-too-rare event when ocean-going law enforcement caught the criminals red-handed. Illegal, unreported and unregulated fishing is a broad issue, touching almost every corner of the ocean. And here to tell us more are two leading experts, Dr. Daniel Pouli, a French fisheries biologist and Chevalier de la Légion d'honneur, whose work has been acknowledged with a very long list of awards. Daniel, we're honoured to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. And investigative journalist Ian Urbina, a Pulitzer Prize winner, no less, and author of the New York Times bestseller, The Outlaw Ocean, which is a ripping read. Ian, also an honour to have you on Ocean Calls. Thanks for having me. And as usual, at the end of the episode, you'll hear from a well-known person telling us all about their favourite marine animal. In this episode, it's photographer George Steinmetz, who paints a fascinating picture of his six months spent at sea documenting industrial fishing. Now, back to our main discussion. Daniel, wind back time a little bit. When did you first become aware of illegal fishing? Was there a moment when you understood what was happening? Well, I saw it the first time in Indonesia in 75. There were lots of um, Taiwanese boats that were in harbours that had been caught. I saw lots of... Uh, Taiwanese men on their boat, they couldn't go anywhere because they were prisoners, because the Indonesian had caught them. But I don't know what laws they had broken. I began to work and, and understand illegal fishing really only after the law of the sea was uh, established it, it, in, in 82. It was ratified by most countries and became international law, allocated to all countries of the world the right to claim a 200-mile zone around the coast. And that defined illegal fishing properly. They were always uh, illegal operations. So if we, if we separate illegal fishing as a crime and misdemeanors, uh, the misdemeanors is catching more than the bag limit. And illegal fishing is mainly, to me, the criminal enterprise that steals fish in a country in, in places when you're not supposed to. And another aspect of illegal fishing is slavery at sea. I presume we will talk about that. But uh, 
the main point in, in illegal fishing is fishing in waters that you're not supposed to be in. Ian, do, do you have a moment when you saw it and you witnessed it for the first time? I mean, Daniel uh, touched on it a little bit. I came at this from a funny angle, which was I was most interested in the human rights and labor issues on these boats. Uh, and so I began reporting on that in 2014 and was trying to get on Thai vessels where I could see this situation. We indeed got on some of those vessels and um, you know, recounted and, and reported on stories of men being shackled by the neck and, and sort of held captive on these boats. And that sort of introduced me to the whole world of other forms of illegality, including the types that Professor Pauli mentioned, you know, illegal fishing in other forms, stealing fish from countries' waters or catching them in ways you shouldn't. Did you have a moment when you thought, hang on, that fish that I'm looking at there on this boat, that has been fished illegally? What I witnessed in the early stages of reporting in 2014-2015 were lots of instances of what's called bycatch, which, you know, in this instance was roughly legal, but really unsustainable and worrisome, where things were being netted that shouldn't have been netted, and they were just dumping them overboard, you know, sharks and turtles and, and, and other forms of fish that were just wastefully being tossed. Uh, and then I witnessed shark finning. So this is cutting off of fins of sharks, and these were in waters where that's illegal. Um, so that was clearly illegal. And again, from being tutored by the likes of Professor Pauli, I began to understand what what am I seeing and which of that is legal and which of that's illegal and which of that is legal but it's sustainable, et cetera. Can you easily differentiate, actually? These things vary between countries. In certain countries, finning is legal. In other countries, they are tolerated only as bycatch and they can be finned. In other countries, they can be landed, but only with the fins attached. And some people cut them off and attach them with a, with a string to the shark because they, they can be packed better. So all of this is legal in that specific case, uh, Spain. It, it's legal, but you can see the, the spirit of the law being broken because people adhere only to the letter of the law. It is attached to the fin. The point is that this uh, product some illegally caught in places where you're supposed to fish, and some legally caught in places where people have paid the license, they get mixed. And when they reach markets in Europe and North America, you cannot separate them out. That's the problem. The bad actors pollute the world of fishing with their action and their product. Ian, can you, can you give us some numbers on the scale of the problem? How significant is illegal fishing on, on a global level? I mean, the, the number that often gets tossed around is the one in five statistic. You know, that's the standard one in five fish that ends up on Western plates, American plates, is thought to be illegal or IUU. Um, that's the rough guess. You know, you're looking at a 20 to $30 billion global industry. That's another number that often gets thrown around. But as was explained, it's very hard to you know, quantify um, black markets in general. First, you have the murkiness in the category of and type of the crime, right? Which one is jaywalking and which one is stealing a car? Which one's a felony? Which one's a misdemeanor? That's one challenge. The other challenge is the resulting outcome of the crime, you know, the products we buy, it's really hard to know whether you're getting a legal or an illegal one. And then the third category of problem is there are no cops. You know, like there's very few police actually enforcing most of these rules 
on the high seas quite especially. And so all those things layered are why I think, you know, this realm and this kind of product is unusually illicit and difficult to, to govern more so than on land uh, black markets. Fundamentally, why is it happening? Why are people stealing fish, uh, going to places they shouldn't, fishing when they shouldn't, etc.? Because they can. Because they can. Ian mentioned the, the key point that uh, there is nobody to enforce the law, at least not in sufficient amount. When they are, many can be bribed. And Jeremy, I, I would throw in two quick points. There are two additional, because they can, as an answer is spot on. I think um, added to that is globalization and overfishing. So globalization has decentralized modern products, quite especially on the ocean. So seafood being one of those. And so everything is outsourced and everything is you know, subcontracted and there's plausible deniability. There's insulation from culpability when a company essentially you know, catches it on one fleet, hands it over to a different company that does the processing, hands it over to the third company. And so that decentralizes blame and responsibility extremely so in a very modern globalized sense. There is an environmental element where the the, the decades of uh, and longer of illegal and overfishing has basically crashed all sorts of nearshore stocks, also with government subsidies heightening the competition that's happening out there. And so there are too many boats on the water, there's too much competition, and people start cheating. They start you know, using sea slaves rather than contracted labor. They start dipping into Argentinian waters when they don't have a license. These are the cutting of corners that occur because there's too much competition and because there's a lack of governance. Did you know that in June 2022, a historic World Trade Organization deal was signed in Geneva requiring a reduction in subsidies that contribute to overfishing? Now, it requires governments not to provide subsidies to vessels and operators that have been found to be involved in illegal, unreported and unregulated fishing. However, developing countries will be exempt from the rules for two years. Who is the they that we're talking about? Who are the illegal fishers? The enemy of the day is China. But uh, the Chinese do the same thing that the Spaniard, the Russian, the French, and everybody has been doing before. Except that whatever China does, it's bigger. So if they do a mistake, it's going to be a monstrously big mistake. But if you track this down to the specific things they do, well, you can see... Russian or Ukrainian vessels having done the same and Spanish vessels having done the same, except that they have been elbowed out of certain areas, for example, West Africa. And they have been elbowed out because the Chinese vessels are more heavily subsidized and therefore they can survive on cheaper returns because they really fish for subsidies. And that is the the, uh, main driver for this cutting of corners and uh, because... If you have no fish to catch, you have to reduce your cost of fishing to subsidies and to illegal operations. I'd understood that West African nations were trying to organise themselves and have better surveillance. Um, What do you make of the initiatives that there have been going on recently? And the EU has been trying to help them as well. Do you think that there's anything significant there to try and stop the illegal fishing off the coast of West Africa? Basically, if you compare West Africa with uh, the Pacific uh, Island states, the Pacific Island states have managed to forge alliances and respond as a group to requests to fish in the water and to various operators. And they have hired international 
scientists of good repute that uh, help them formulate what they they catch is worth and what they fish is worth. And so they have been able to do that and to negotiate better agreements with uh, foreign players. In West Africa, this has never occurred because one country has been played against the other. And in fact, if you see West African coast, it is a succession of countries, right? The Chinese and before the Europeans, they established themselves legally in one country and fish illegally in the neighboring countries. They can do forays. For example, you establish yourself in uh, Guinea-Bissau and you can fish illegally with no problem in Côte d'Ivoire and in Senegal because, because you are in between the two. And, and, and this is happening all along the coast. Uh, the Russians do that in, with Mauritania and, and they fish illegally in Senegal. That's how they were caught. They were caught in Senegal uh, fishing through little forays. They don't stay there. They return then to their base and uh, they can do that because they can monitor the, the boats that would catch them to, to satellite. I think additionally, it's important to bear in mind that the beneficiaries of a lot of these efficiencies and price savings are us, right? It's the West that's buying a lot of these products. Yeah, it's processed in China. It's often getting pulled out of the water onto Chinese boats. Fine, fair enough. Um, but who's getting the savings and who's getting the cheap, you know, whatever it is um, and sort of looking the other way? That's us. That's the EU. To a large degree, it's also China. A lot of it's domestic, uh, but a huge amount of it's exported to us, and we, the consumers, are therefore complicit in the very things we're banging the Chinese for. What can we do as consumers? I'm getting this question all the time. The question that I hardly ever get is, "What can I do as a citizen of my country, living in a democracy?" So my response is, as consumer, we can only eat right in a symbolic fashion. I'm not elitist in this. I'm, I'm very conscious of the real concern that people have in making a living, paying the rent, uh, going to work, uh, having two jobs and so on. They cannot be concerned about, you know, is the fish that I eat sustainable? So the, the 5% of the population that cares about this thing has absolutely no effect. As consumer, on the other hand, if you distribute in front of leaflets about uh, the fish of a, this shop being stolen or the fish served at this restaurant being stolen. That's a whole other bargain. So basically, we, we need not waste time on horizontal activities, telling our friends they should not eat that fish when we go out, because uh, all we do is sour the atmosphere. But vertical agitation, that works. And that is what the difference between being a consumer and being a, a citizen is. I would agree with um, what Daniel said. I think I would I would just um, add that if you think of yourself in multi, in a multifaceted way, so what are we? We are voters, we're taxpayers, we are buyers, consumers, um, we are donors, we're interlocutors, we talk with our spouse, our kids, whomever. We have all these different roles, right? We're, we're often investors. Each of those roles can have an impact. Um, and, and you can, small, all of them, small, handing out leaflets or, or going to a shareholder meeting and raising your hand and applying some pressure to Walmart or voting for that guy because he answered the question right or giving a little donation to, you know, Professor Pauli's program so that he can do more research. Like, these are all small ways that every one of us can, you know, push the ball in the right direction. But I think it's often smart to step back and really think of the full spectrum of 10 roles you play. When you're talking at the dinner party with your friends, say, hey, did you realize this thing's going on? And 
all those roles, I think, make a difference um, in, in the way that he was saying. Ian, I remember you saying to me in one of the conversations we had preparing this podcast that actually, ironically, aquaculture, which was supposed to save us from overfishing, was fueling this illegal fishing. Can you talk to us a bit about that and describe what is happening? Yeah, so um, what is the case is it's fueling overfishing and not exclusively, but it is a factor and not all aquaculture, but a portion of it. There came a point historically when many scientists made clear that the oceans were running out of fish and there was a desire to do something about it. And there was a market shift towards, well, let's rather than leaning on wild caught, let's raise them in near shore pens or on land. Let's shift towards aquaculture. Okay. And one of the motivations of that shift globally was to try to slow down the pressure on on the take of fish uh, at sea. All right. Good motivation. Uh, then the market got involved and big players got involved and everything got scaled up. And here you see the same story with big agro, with raising of chickens, pigs, everything when it gets big becomes a problem. So in the fishing space, what that looked like was market players thought, hey, look, we're trying to make some money here. We want to scale up. We need these fish to hurry up and grow, <laughs> like hurry up and get fat so we can move them to market. And so they need to feed the fish, you know, in large quantities and quickly with high protein sources. And where is the cheap high protein source that they turn to? Well, soy for a while, but then they increasingly start moving towards fish meal. Fish meal is largely wild caught fish that gets ground up, powdered, palletized, and fed. So now you have this crazy upside down situation where you're taking the very thing you were supposed to protect, grinding it up, drying it out, and feeding it to the things that was meant to protect it. Did you know that the European Union has a football-style warning card system for states that don't comply with its illegal, unreported and unregulated fishing rules? Now, the Commission first issues a yellow card to countries that turn a blind eye to illegal fishing, and then, if the state doesn't cooperate, it gets a red card and fisheries products from that country are banned. Let's get back to where we think the illegal fishing is going on. We've talked about West African countries. Is there an incentive for them to impose stricter controls and to actually stamp this out? Or actually, is it easier for them to turn a blind eye and just get on with uh, living their life? What's the atmosphere there in a lot of those countries? What kind of things are they talking about doing? Developing countries, many of them, don't have a decent tax base to operate the government. So let's assume they have an honest government, not a bunch of thieves. This is already a wild assumption, but let's assume they have an honest government. This government does not have a tax base to feed the, the street building, the school, the hospital and everything, and to, to pay for the role of governments. How do they fund themselves? By selling natural resources, by selling access to minerals, to trees and to fish. That is the reason why West African countries have no option but to let the Spaniard, the Russian, the Chinese operate in their water. This presence through access fee makes it impossible to regulate their own artisanal fisheries. They cannot do anything psychologically because the fishers would say, but you're letting the foreigners fish in our water. So what you find is that they don't 
intervene at all to run the artisanal fisheries because the artisanal fisheries don't pay taxes. That, I think, is a big structural problem. The fact that the local fisheries are all in the informal sector. But as far as you're concerned, that is the absolute root of it, is, it, is, is there. Inequality to start with. Uh, you cannot have fair negotiation when a country is exporting peanuts, literally peanuts, to the European Union. And the negotiator for the European Union can say, well, if you don't let the Spanish boats come in, no more export of peanuts. And that's it. What's the regulation you'd love to see? Abolish subsidies. Half of the boats would immediately stop. If the WTO had worked, the half of the fleet of the world would not continue fishing. And we would have more fish, better fish. I'm going to wind things up now, but final question for Daniel. Imagine you're face-to-face with an illegal fisherman. How are you going to convince him to change his ways when he's making a lot of money and things are working well for him and he's not going to get punished? How do you convince him? I will convince the, the district attorney to go after him. But you describe that fishers wrongly because statistically, uh, an illegal fisher will be paid minimum wage or less because he will be a crew member on a boat that I would tell him, why aren't you forming a union? Why are are you accepting this condition? Why are you guys accepting minimum wage for one of the most dangerous jobs in the world? The maneuver there is spot on. I think what I would probably do is say, hey, look, Mr. Ship Captain, I just want to let you know what's going to happen next. Number one, I know that you're hustling and barely making ends meet. Your crew are even worse. Here's what's going to happen next. I'm going to get the name of the owner that you answer to of this fleet. I'm going to hand it over to Prosecutor X. They're going to go after the owner. The owner is going to try to scapegoat you. You're going to do the time and so is your crew. So you be wise right now to like get in front of this because that's what I'm about to do. And this is your moment to save your own tail because you're going to be the scapegoat when you're actually not the real beneficiary of all this work you're doing. It's the guy above you. And he's going to have to face law enforcement very soon. Thank you very much, um, Ian Urbina and uh, Professor Daniel Pauly. Fantastic to have you on Ocean Calls, our Euronews podcast. It really has been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you to you both. Now to Ocean Favourites, the part of the podcast when a famous person tells us all about their number one marine species. Today's guest is photographer George Steinmetz, whose work has been published in high-profile magazines all around the world, a creator who's documented remote landscapes, our changing climate, and how we meet humanity's ever-expanding need for food. We sat down with him at an international photojournalism festival in France called Visa pour l'image, where he was exhibiting some of his work on global fisheries. Hi, my name is George Steinmetz. I'm a photographer. Well, to be honest, I don't really have a favorite marine animal, but one of the ones I find most interesting are squid. And I've been working on a project looking at global fisheries, and I find it quite fascinating to look at how squid are caught. And most people, when they go to the bar and they order like calamari, they have no idea how it got there. And I made a a, a trip um, just at the beginning of the pandemic to go and photograph uh, a large squid boat, which are very rarely seen in action. 
in the South Atlantic. The one I got on had been at sea for almost six months. They go out to sea for very long periods, six months without ever going to shore. And they work uh, over the horizon in, in deep water. And uh, they use so much electricity that you can see the squid boats in satellite images. They, they light up the ocean. And they fish at night by putting high intensity lights uh, both above the surface and underwater. And that attracts plankton to come up from the depths at night and the squid come in to eat the plankton. And they had uh, these boats, they have very bright lights to uh, attract squid and plankton, and they have uh, these continuous reels of, of line with lures, creating basically kind of walls of, or curtains of death to snag the squid when they come up to feed. And within uh, minutes of being dragged up there, put in the hold of the ship and flash frozen to put into bricks and go to your nearest restaurant. But the key photo I wanted to get was uh, an aerial photograph of the boat to show it with all the lights going. And it was very tricky for me because the, these boats really only work at night. And in the middle of the night, you couldn't see the context. You just see the lights of the, of the boat. Uh, I realized after a couple of days that the only time I could really get pictures was about 15 minutes in the morning just as the sun was coming up if the captain would leave the lights on a little bit longer. Because once the sun comes up, the, the lights they use to attract the squid don't have any effect and so they turned them off, and so there was only a few minutes a day when I could get my picture. And it was also tricky for me technically as I was taking a, trying to take pictures with a drone, and there was so much electricity on that boat, so much magnetism, that it messed up the compass on my drone, and when you take off, it wants to just kind of fly away. I think squid are interesting as an example of how humans have, have upset the food chain by going after some of the things that we consider attractive things to eat, like I say, like swordfish and tuna. And those are the apex predators. And so when you, it's like if you took out all the, you know, uh, let's say lions and wolves, all of a sudden you would have lots of deer growing, you know, because there's nothing taking out the weak ones. Scientists say that we're, We've entered an era that the geologists in the future will call the Anthropocene, where humans have become the greatest shaper of the planet. And you see that in marine fisheries, and the explosion of squid populations is an example of that. Well, my thanks to George Steinmetz for that fascinating story. The Ocean Calls podcast is created by ocean lovers here at Euronews for ocean fans around the world. And I'm your host, Euronews science reporter Jeremy Wilkes. And this series is produced by my colleagues Nari Dablasian and Natalia Olsner. Editing is by Laurie Martinez, Chiara Santella and Luis Lopez from Studio Ochenta. The theme music is by Gabriel Dalmasso. Our editor-in-chief is Sophie Claude. For more on Dr. Daniel Pooley's work, check out at Us on Twitter. That's his research initiative at the University of British Columbia. And follow Ian Urbina on at Ian underscore Urbina. To see more of George Steinmetz's work, visit his Instagram profile, GeoSteinmetz. If you want to learn more about Sea Shepherd operations to stop illegal fishing, visit their website on www.seashepherdglobal.org. 
The Ocean Calls podcast is made possible by the European Commission's DG Mare, and you can listen to it on Apple, Spotify, Castbox, or anywhere you listen to your podcasts. If you like the podcast, please give us a five-star rating, comment, and tell your friends. Your help makes spreading the word about the oceans so much easier. And if you want our team to read your comments on social media, use the hashtag OceanCalls. Also, to further feed your mind, check out a new Euronews podcast called The Star Ingredient, uncovering the forgotten tastes of Africa. For more information on Ocean Calls, go to our website, euronews.com. And a special shout out to Ocean, the simply splendid Euronews TV series created by our friend and colleague, Dennis Lottier. If you haven't seen it, head over to euronews.com ocean. Follow world news from a European perspective on euronews.com. <laughs>